0: Today's Bible reading is taken from the letter of the Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise." And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his only son, even though God had said to him, "'It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned.'" Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Richard. As Lucy shared, I've just returned uh, from a kind of pilgrimage. I've been to uh, Peterborough which is where they have a big festival, which we call New Wine. And uh, it recently moved. Last year, it was in Shepton Mallet. But Shepton Mallet, it always rains. So this year, they said, we're going to move it to Peterborough, where it's going to be dry. But they lied. They lied to us. When we got there, the heavens opened. On the first night, we had literally a month's rainfall. And the the way the the week kind of pans out was wherever I seemed to go, a little cloud seemed to follow, and it seemed to time itself exactly when our children went to their groups, which just happened to be about 30 minutes from our tent. So literally, this coat was on me pretty much 24-7 for the week. And actually, when I had it on, I felt, yes, I'm ready for the battle. Nothing you can throw at me is gonna dampen my spirit, because I must admit, for the first few days, I I felt pretty rotten. You know, sort of living in a kind of, I don't know, how would you describe it, Lucy? A swamp. <laughs> it, it tests your faith, doesn't it? But one thing I learned, actually, is that no matter how wet, no matter how torrid, children, they don't care. I think they saw it as a bonus. That actually, they didn't need to shower, they didn't need to wash. <laughs> this was just nature's way of cleansing. It was efficiency. And actually, you know, it was worth the fight. You know, we go, this is my seventh year, I go there with a huge expectation. You know, that as I see the kids swim in the puddles, God is on the move. You know, I have to literally fight to stop my children going to their groups, where the likes of Joe Foster get to witness to 800 children. You know, we have children who come home singing God's songs. Children who have been transformed by the power of the Spirit. And as adults, too, every year, God does the most incredible things. My wife, Lucy, um, in February, she had an operation uh, to repair ligament and tendon damage in her ankle. And it's one of those which is going to take the best part of a year to kind of get back to full recovery. And even then, she might never totally run pain-free. And recently, she's really struggled. Almost every day, she's confined to one pair of trainers with the right kind of insole. And at nighttime, she's just in agony as this kind of throbbing ankle is kind of needing to be iced and nursed better. Well, on day one, I think, I think it was day one, could have been day two, she would say she received healing. You know, God came in the power of His Spirit in, in a gathering. I think it was someone who laid on hands and just prayed for her. And from that day on, she's been wearing different shoes. She was running around, chasing after the children, and she's been pain free. You know, praise God, she's been pain free. And there'll be many other stories, you know, not just in the physical, many other stories of where God has met in the emotional, where God has seen us, where we've been kind of affirmed that God knows us, that he values us. These are the kind of stories that come out of New Wine, but also the kind of stories that hopefully come out of St. Savior's. I have many. And as I was praying about what what to share with you this morning, the word hope just kind of came to my mind's eye. And then as I asked God, you know, why... Why hope? I just had a sense that actually maybe some of us here today, we need to know. We need to know what hope is. We live in a world that does not know hope. You know, we live in a country where each year I think somewhere around six and a half thousand people, you know, commit suicide. Of which men are three times more likely than women. Of which actually the age group most at risk is between forty five to forty nine. You know, that's just one example, we could talk about self-harm, we could talk about all kinds of things. I could talk about some of the people I've worked for in, in our multinationals who strive for something and then get there and realise actually, what's that all about? The world needs hope. So my first question to you, what, what's your hope? What is your hope? Take a moment to ponder, what is your hope? Let me pray. Lord God, I pray this morning that if nothing else, would your word inspire us? Lord, I thank you for this passage in Hebrews that speaks of hope. Lord, may you help me to somehow just unpack it, to somehow bring a little bit of revelation. Your word, not mine, I pray this morning. May you excite us, may you impassion us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage that I felt God was leading me towards was Hebrews 11. So I've tried my best to, to shed some light on what we find. So if we were to open it uh, to Hebrews 11, hopefully we all know this familiar first verse. You know, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. And what I want to argue this morning is that it is hope that builds faith. If you take hope, out of that equation. We have nothing to be confident in. So if you, if you believe that's the definition of faith, we have a challenge, don't we, if we have no hope. We need something to be confident in. Probably many of you have read um, Tom Wright's book. Tom Wright was a former bishop at Durham. He wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. It's about 350 pages because he has a belief that many Christians and many people of this world, as I've described, do not really get hope. And he describes there's been two kinds of hope. The first one is ultimate hope. So ultimate hope is kind of obviously through Jesus Christ. We believe that God chose to send his son in human form into this world. That he took, if you like, our sin upon the cross, that he chose to die that he felt the sting of death so that we should not have to. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense. We live under his grace. And because of that, we have the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He brings us into relationship with the Father. He promises resurrected life, life eternal. He says, my Father has many rooms in his house, and that's a promise for us. If you like, it's where, it's where we're navigated towards. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. That is what Tom Wright would describe as ultimate hope. It's what hopefully, hopefully equips us or maybe allows us mindfully just to kind of pursue this life. When things get tough, it's where we look. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's what hopefully gives us peace. It's what gives us confidence, assurance actually there's more to life than this that is the ultimate hope but then Tom Wright describes something called present hope as we look to Jesus as we unpack the gospel it's not just about receiving information no it speaks of God's kingdom breaking in as the here and now it's why we pray the Lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as in heaven now here and now it's why I can share a story of Lucy's ankle being healed. I remember when I was at university, I lived with non-Christians, but they knew that I, uh, I was marked as a Christian. And one morning, on the on the morning of an exam, I went into my friend's room. His name is Darren, and uh, he was, he was lying on his bed, and um, just in his boxes, and he looked really, really sweaty, and there was a stench in the room. And he said, you know, I think he said, "Dude." I'm not gonna make the exam today. You know, look at me, I'm, I've had a fever. And I said, okay, that's fine, I'll, I'll go tell the university. And I was walking out, and as I was walking out the door, he said, Tim, you believe in God? Let's give it a go, pray for me. I'd never prayed for anyone for healing before and I didn't particularly want to do it now. But he called me out. You know, it, it made perfect sense to him. If I believe in a God who's created everything then surely he can intercede now so begrudgingly I laid my hand on his sweaty body and I said something that was not particularly clever he got up put on his clothes and we went off he was healed I would love to say that was the start of a miraculous healing ministry it's not been that case but my expectancy was raised and actually I do I'd pray for any of you you if you had something wrong I wouldn't say that necessarily that God was going to do something, but I believe He could. You know, I believe that God's kingdom is in the here and now. I believe He has words and pictures for us that want to encourage us. I believe that, as it says in Romans eight eleven, you know, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I believe in John fourteen twelve, where, where um, Jesus says that we will do His works, and in fact, He says we will see more than He saw. I live in that hope. That is the present hope. That's what impassions me. That's why I'm training to be a vicar because that's what brings transformation. That is the hope that we can bring into the world. That is the hope that we need to hold, that we need to treasure. That is the hope which will start to bring change in this town and beyond. Trekkers is an example of that hope. I want to say that this chapter it all hinges off that first that first verse and to help explain it i want to say it's a bit like a seesaw a seesaw has two sides doesn't it well let's say on this side we have faithful assurance and the chapter spells out example after example it starts with creation it says that god made the world out of nothing we know that don't we so we need to take confidence from that it then lists abraham's life it talks of the covenant promise that God was going to make a mighty nation out of Abraham. They were going to be as plentiful as the stars in the sky. And then we get ancient after ancient listed out. These clouds of witnesses who have lived miraculous lives, from Joseph to Rahab, all kinds of examples. Some of them are examples where God has moved and brought present hope. Some of examples actually where they just had the sense of ultimate hope, which enabled them to endure the tough times because many of them had tough times where they went to probably their death for the faith they believed, but they would not turn away from Jesus or from, from God in old, older times. And then on the other side, if it's, if it's faithful assurance on that side of the seesaw, we have hope on this side, the kind of hope I've talked about, the kind of present hope. If we have one without the other, the seesaw doesn't move. It's boring. A seesaw is designed to go up and down, isn't it? All right, we need, we need to have some sort of assurance. We need to read God's word and get it cited. Then we go to the other side and we try and put it into practice. We try and do the application bit. We give it a go. We try. And as we try, I'm going to suggest that actually our confidence increases because normally God does something. So we go back on this side and the expectation rises. Not only do we stand on the shoulders of giants and the shoulders of those who've gone before, who have kind of claimed land, we now get to yeah get to rewrite history. We get to do some of the stuff that Jesus called us to do, and as we do that, we naturally kind of seesaw, and faith gets exciting because hope hope starts to build faith. You know, hope we could understand is expectation. Our expectation levels increase. And as we see God move, we have confidence that he did it last time. He's probably going to do it next time. Or in fact, he might even do more than he did last time. What do you reckon? I reckon there's loads of amazing stories around this room. I've heard some of your stories. Ian, I've heard your story. You know, there's so many stories in this room. Let's look at Abraham. I'm going to just, I could pick out many, but I'm going to look at Abraham from this passage, okay? So, the author of Hebrews kind of gives us a good account. It kind of parallels what's going on in Genesis. So, Abraham, as we know, God came in a miraculous way. You know, he called Abraham out of where he was. He basically said, Go pitch your tent in a foreign land, I'm going to make you a father. Of a great nation. You know, that promise, that hope, convinced Abraham to go. So he goes to this foreign land. He doesn't actually know where he's going. It says it's only in, Gen- yeah, in Genesis 17, it's only when he's in the land that God actually affirms you know, this is your land, Canaan, this is the land I'm going to give you. All right, another promise. The expectation, the hope is rising in Abraham. Actually, Abraham's life, though he has, he has much, is not easy. He faces risk as he travels through different boundaries. We know the story in Egypt where he tries to almost deceive the Pharaoh to, to protect his family. So it's not plain sailing, but God is with him and his hope is high and it just continues to increase. But then in verse 13, in our passage in Hebrews, You know, it says actually, he didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promise. You could say God almost teased him, he took him to the land, but by the time of his death, he didn't actually own anything other than the cave he buried his wife Sarah in. He didn't see the fulfillment of the the promise. But it says in the passage that he saw it from a distance. He saw enough. Does that mean that God is not faithful? I don't think so. I think Abraham had a sense of a kind of ultimate hope. He knew his destination. He knew that God has been faithful in his journey. You know, it says that that actually in yeah, in verse sixteen. You know, Abraham was searching for the heavenly city. He was searching for the city that God is going to be the architect, architect of, the city that He describes in Revelation twenty-one. The heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. You know, Abraham had his eyes fixed on God. He was hopeful, he was expectant. And actually he had a quite remarkable life. You know, he had more present hope than many of us. You know, he had visitations from free men. He saw the angel of the Lord, as did his wife um, Sarah. You know, The Lord frequently spoke to him in direct way frequently seemed to come into his presence when he's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac it says doesn't it in this passage that actually he probably thought God was going to raise him from the dead such was his expectation he lived a hope filled life so what about us what about us how do we live with the same kind of hope We could just turn turn quickly to the end of our reading, which is Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus the perfecter of our faith as we do that as we read the gospel it's the best place to find Jesus you can't read it I don't think you can without hearing the calls and the commands to go and do to have a go as we do that We will bring hope into this world. You know, as I was at New Wine reflecting with uh, Michael Jameson, he said one of the talks, you know, the challenge is we are the hope. You know, God chose to do this world, to do life through us, through his people. Just as Jesus was the light of the world, we bring a bit of light into the world because he is in us. We are the hope in this world, and we have to realize that. No one else is going to change this world. We are the hope. That's why one of our I think our visions or values is to shine brightly. Mike probably shared that a few weeks ago. We have to shine brightly. We do that through gospel life, through fixing our eyes on Jesus, through reading God's word, through having an expectation that his word is true, that he's going to break into the here and now when he can, through the power of his spirit. It also says that we have to throw off what hinders us. You know, life is not easy. You know, we might have rain clouds, or we might have murkier clouds. You know? Hardship, suffering. There's no easy answer, is there, to these situations. And I don't have that this morning. All I, all I can say is, you know, read this chapter again, as you get to the bottom, you read of all these ancients who endured real hardship, persecution for their faith. And, you know, as, we, as Norman prayed, Yet somehow they found hope in God. You know, Psalm 42 talks about when you're downcast, when it all gets too much, our soul doesn't stop panting for the Lord. No, we're called to be hopeful, we're called to find our hope in Jesus. So I finish with two questions Where is your hope? What are you hoping for this morning? If you've lost sight of that hope, I would love to pray for you after this service. I would also encourage you to read Surprised by Hope by Tom Wright, to reread Hebrews 11. Soak yourself again in God's Word. And the other question is so, where's your hope, and also, what is hindering you? And if you're feeling this morning that like you are hindered by something, again, I would happily pray for you.
0: Let me close by praying.